Hello there and welcome to something we're trying out, something very new. We'll call it a match preview podcast, MPP. We've got to think of a name of something of some sort for this, perhaps. But anyway, Callum Williams here uh, alongside former golfer soccer star Kendra D. St. Aubin and former Minnesota United midfielder Jamie Watson. So we'll try and do three segments here. And first of all, we'll talk about the obvious thing to talk about, the first victory of the season, Kindred D. St. Aubin. Uh, a big statement win for Minnesota United on match day one. What did you take from it? Well, first of all, I think uh, any sort of a win for Minnesota United right now on the road is a huge victory. But to start the season off that way, I took a lot of positives, not just the three points, but how we got the three points, how Minnesota United accomplished exactly what they set out to do with the game plan that Adrian Heath had put forth with this club and how the new pieces fit in. I mean, it's going to only get better as every single game goes on. And the fact that these guys that did what we thought they could do, Ozzy Alonso, Ike Opara, Roma Metzenere on the right-hand side, it was so fun to see him and what he was capable of. And, of course, Vito Minone in goal. So I just think that it was a massive three points for Minnesota United. And it wasn't just about the three points to me. It was about how they got the three points on the road against a Western Conference opponent. You could not have a better start. Jimmy Watson, psychologically, and we are going to talk about this, aren't we, on our Fox Sports North broadcast on, on Saturday on the Fox Sports North Plus. Um, psychologically, what does a victory like this do for not only the, the new group of players, but the old group as well? Well, let's state the obvious. There's Players aren't oblivious to what gets said in and around the media by us as broadcasters, by the fans, by the expectations, the articles, the headlines, the TV stories that come out saying this is a new-look loons um, and so there's a lot of hype that goes into the game, a lot of expectations. When you live up to it, inevitably, you, sen- you seem to grow in confidence with that because that is a massive boost to what you've been set- setting out to do for the six, seven weeks in preseason, what's gone on before you even step foot into camp. So I think for the team, it's great. But what I took away from the game, Cal, um, was the intangibles, the little things that don't show up on a score sheet. As Kendra mentioned, uh, any road win is is a welcomed one. But for Minnesota United, I think you take the victories in the fact that they looked much more compact defensively. The shape to the team held true. The new players came in and noticeably made things different on the field tactically, but also, too, the mentality and the culture of the team seemed to be vastly different than what we had seen in the two years prior in the sense that the team went down six minutes into the game, but what didn't go down were the players' heads. Mm. And the fact that they continued on playing and arguably put together the, the, ne- the next 15, 20-minute best spell of the game possession-wise, chance creation-wise, which ultimately led into the penalty that was won by Francisco Calvo. But 1-0 down in the past, you may have thought, here we go again, but the new players – Five new on the field, and then the ones that were remaining from the core were older, more experienced players that thought this is this is okay, this is fine. The new guys, quote unquote, the the the, the new five that mm. came in to change the team because there are more than just those new players to the team. They did a good job of making sure that you know, whatever's in the past is in the past. What we know is how to respond from this. This is what we do. This is what we bring, and they implemented that on the team. And that didn't show up on the score sheet. But if you were watching the game and you were there in the stadium, you certainly felt it. Kendra, I know Jimmy mentioned there Francisco Calva. I know you were very impressed with the fullbacks in Vancouver as well. 
Well, I've liked Francisco Calvin at a left back spot every time he's played it. I know he doesn't seem to be as big of a fan of it, but I like the way he plays when he can get forward and get in on the attack. And I also like that if he does have a defensive miscue, it's not as much of a liability as if he's in the middle of the park. But both the outside backs, I was impressed with. They did what we needed them to do, get forward, fill those spaces, relieve some of the pressure of the midfield. Um, when the ball, there's so much going on in the center of the park with Darwin Quintero and, of course, with Schuler pinching in and with Miguel Ibarra pinching in as well. And then you throw in Jan Gregush and Ozzy Alonso. There's a lot going on in the middle of the park. So the fact that the wings have so much space and they took advantage of that opportunity to get forward and be dangerous and keep their outside backs on their toes, I'd love to see more of that as the season goes on in, in any team that we play against because I think the pace and the ability of those two guys to get forward and how many times did Calvo cut inside and he was mm -hmm. really a threat as he, we saw when he drew, he drew the penalty. So um, really impressed with those two and I think I'm mostly impressed with Roma Matanera because maybe he's the least I knew about. Right. Everyone kept talking about his pace, his athleticism, his size, his ability, and how about the ball he can serve in from the right-hand side, but we got to see it in person, in action, in a full 11 v 11 in a game that counted. Roma Metanel so eloquently described as a horse by yes. Adrian Heath afterwards as well. Well, and what did, uh, what did uh, Icapara call him? Yeah, the machine. <laughs> yeah, the machine. And I mean, he kind of chuckled when yeah. he said it, but I mean, it's true. He just goes about his business. And, and even yesterday at training, it was fun to see them communicating and trying to get on the same page with the language barrier and the language gap. So it's going to take some time, but I think uh, Icapara is happy to have him on his right. I'm going to ask you about uh, something tactical as well before I go to Jamie and talk about Vancouver. You mentioned Rasmus Schuler and this new role that he plays. What is that role? How does it affect this team? Well, I think it's interesting because if you know Rasmus Schuler, he's not a true winger. So I think the inverted winger, as they're sort of calling it, fits his style more where he can pinch inside and be a more of a central player and allow that space for Francisco Calvo. But again, the concern I'm going to have, and I didn't think Miguel Ibarra uh, on the other side, as you talked about Rasmus on the left, but Miguel Ibarra on the right saw enough of the ball in that game against Vancouver. But part of it is the product of the system. And it is so crowded in the middle of the field. Rasmus Schuler trying to pick his spots and his holes and his spots to find it to find the ball. Mm -hmm. and for them to find him the ball and same with Miguel on the right it's going to be a challenge because Darwin is tucking all the way back in that space to get the ball as well to be a part of the game Darwin doesn't like to sit around and wait for the ball to find him he wants to find the ball so that's going to be a bit of a um, interesting thing and a, a dynamic to watch going forward or once what happens when Ethan Finley is healthy enough to start? What happens when Kevin Molino is back in the mix? These are all good problems to have when you're talking about the depth. Right. But I think Rasmus having to pinch in centrally, allow Calvo to overlap, but then those guys have to find the space centrally to allow each other enough space, but also close enough you can play together. Mm. Inverted winger in inverted commas, maybe. Uh, we'll <laughs> break that down later, maybe. Uh, Jamie, Vancouver Whitecaps then. I noticed for the short period that we were in Vancouver... I know it's opening day. That it's beautiful? Well, yes. <laughs> a little colder for our liking. We like it midsummerish when we go there. But we'll... Yeah, that we'd all yeah. live there. Devastated when we yeah. saw it was yeah. first game of the season. Um, <laughs> but for the short time we were there, uh, as I said, I know it's opening day, but there was so much hype about Vancouver Whitecaps, mainly because of the amount of changes they'd made to the roster and because they've got the, the new bright next big thing in Mark Dos Santos in terms of, of managers as well. But Minnesota United went there and won. What did you make of, of Vancouver? And you, you made a very good point a couple of days before the game saying that you think Vancouver will be much more the finished article in a couple of months. Absolutely. And, uh, Kyle, you made this point 
uh, I think on the broadcast that this was the biggest turnover in MLS history for a team. I think what they've brought in, what they what they lost and what they brought in significantly improves Vancouver. It's a much more balanced team now throughout. But like anything, we saw it beginning of 2017 with Minnesota United. You take a whole bunch of players, you put them together, you can give them the preseason, sure, but inevitably there is a time period in which it'll take the team to come together and to have their ups and downs, their trials and tribulations where they figure out who they are, how the guy to your left, how the guy to your right plays, and that will come. It only comes with time. Now, do I think the team that Minnesota United saw on opening day will be the same team in six, eight, ten weeks for Vancouver? Absolutely not. Mm. And I think that's a staple of Mark Dos Santos is every team he's coached has managed to get to a final. He knows how to get the most out of his players. It just takes time to learn how to get it out of them yeah. and what works with each player. Um, what I took from them on the day, I think Mar- Mark Dos Santos mentioned this to Adrian Heath. He said this on the Adrian Heath show, 7 p.m. Monday nights here on Score North. Um, he thought Vancouver had a hard time deciphering what Kendra mentioned with Rasmus Schuller when he was inverted and Darwin Quintero. The team had a hard time figuring out when the outside backs and when the center backs should step a little higher mm-hmm. or when the midfielders should drop, meaning that in Adrian's system, that's the space, that's the problem they want to cause other teams. And on this day, on last Saturday afternoon, that is the problem they caused Vancouver. Mark Dos Santos felt that he could never really truly handle that problem that Minnesota United presented his team, and therefore that's what led to so many chances. That's what led to the goals. That's what led to the opportunities. And that's why Minnesota United won on the day. So I think tactically, I think Mark Dos Santos held his hand up to Adrian and said, you guys were better today. But, Cal, as you mentioned, we were talking about this. I think the next time we see Vancouver, it will be vastly different because I think that they will be a team that grows and gets better and better from here on out. Are they a playoff team this year? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I think they may be one of the teams that right be it's hovering along the yellow line, mm. but I think that it depends how quickly they, can they come together and start a run within this league, and, and it just depends what that growing curve and that learning curve is going to be for them. Surprised you've not backed them wholeheartedly there. You've got a soft spot for Marco Santos. Didn't he put a transfer bid in for you? He did. It was a, it was a big fee. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to start any sort of, you know, speculation. Was it $25,000? Was it not? Look, that's what the report said. Gargantua numbers there, mate. Huge numbers. Huge, huge <laughs> numbers. I don't know how in the world the Austin Aztecs turned that down at the time. But uh, they did, and the story wrote itself out. But I, I have a great, like you said, a soft spot for him because I think he's a fantastic manager. And I could see Vancouver having him for the next decade if things go to plan because I think he is a tremendous, tremendous, as you said, young and up-and-coming coach who's had success all along the way. Well, and Cal, how many times have we hear the change of culture that he's put on there? Oh. I mean, Jamie just touched on it briefly, but in general, like the just the whole – that that culture needed an overhauling. And if there isn't a better person, I don't know, than Mark Dos Santos to do it. And you kind of had some – good information on that as well just the the different attitude there yeah we were all told weren't we that it was um essentially a, a poisonous atmosphere in vancouver over the last year or so but but particularly over the last six months and i think the writing was on the wall for carl robinson when alfonso davies was sold and he was essentially told he wasn't going to get any of the money to spend now that that straight away r.i.p uh carl robinson um 
look, I think Carl Robinson will go on and get a job somewhere else. I'm not convinced he'll get a job in Major League Soccer because of one or two things that I've heard, but I think he'll get a job somewhere else. I like him as a coach, but Mardo Santos, as, as Jamie and yourself have said, he is and, and has been identified as, as the next big thing moving forward. So I'm really intrigued to see what Vancouver do. And God, well, I mean, they, they come here in, what, a couple of months to Allianz Field? And as, as Jamie said, I think it'll be very, very different. Um, before we uh, take a short break, Kendra, I want to go back to one or two specific moments in the game. I think it was around about the 11th or 12th minute when Ico Parra miscued a pass mm-hmm. and it went behind for a corner. Mm-hmm. Straight away, Romain Metanel goes over to him, puts his arm around his yep. shoulder and said, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Half time, it was 1-1. And there seemed to be a collective huddle from Minnesota United and, and the players. They know, don't they? They know that this is the year where they have to deliver. But there, there seems to be a togetherness within this roster that we haven't seen over the past two years. Totally agree, and I think it was those couple moments in the match and even what we've seen on quite a few occasions in at training. Just the fact that these guys are holding each other to a different level of accountability. And the coach can yell as much as they want and, and try to get the players on track, but ultimately it comes from the players themselves holding each other accountable and to a higher level. And I think picking each other up, expectations are higher for themselves, for each other. And when you have certain amount of leadership, second year for – um, of course, for Darwin Quintero, his first full season in the league, I think you're going to see a lot of different guys step up at a different level. And those are just a few examples. And, and wait till we get back home to Allianz Field when people can see it firsthand right here in our own, own stadium. And before we go to break, Jamie, we've done it again. We, we've gone a good 13 and a half minutes without mentioning the main man himself, Darwin Quintero. What a um, performance from him. I mean, he was he was fantastic on the day. But I also I also think by his standards, it wasn't the performance he would have liked to have given. Right. And I think what you saw were the flashes of moments of brilliance that he provides. Um, the penalty, there's not a keeper in the world that's saving it. Uh, it was a it was a, a textbook technique on how to strike a penalty. Um, big moment. He obviously had the ball that played into Calvo to, to draw the penalty. Um, his pass to Francisco Calvo was it was almost disrespectful in the sense of Daniil Henry, you I'm gonna put this just above over your head where you think you have a chance, but in reality you don't. Uh Maxim Crepo was just left on his line, couldn't do much about it. And then he goes in and wins the ball for the third goal. So even when he doesn't have a complete performance, on the third goal he won the first ball that led to Romario Barra going one on one at Godoy. So uh by his performance I don't think he gave uh the, his best ninety minutes. Yeah. But having said that he was still uh, in the MLS team of the week, had a goal and two assists, um, was the MLS Latin uh, player of the week as well. I mean, it just goes to show just how instrumental he is to this team. And now what he can do with better players around him too that are going to inevitably draw more attention from other teams, that means you have to free up Darwin Quintero more. I mean, it's a scary thought. And if you're a Minnesota United fan, how is this not the most exciting time with, as Kendra mentioned, Allianz Field right around the corner? Yeah. The team putting a performance like that on the road against a Western Conference opponent on opening day? Yeah. I mean, 
right now, if, if this is Jim Cramer on Mad Money, I'm hitting the buy, buy, buy. You better buy all the Minnesota, Minnesota United stock right now because this team is only going one direction. The Northern Stars are aligning up in Minnesota. Now, match day one in Major League Soccer this weekend, Kindred, was full of thrills and spills. Before we get into some news and notes and, and players moving in and out of Major League Soccer, talk to me about a game that really stood out to you. Was there a scoreline that you thought to yourself, my word, did it raise your eyebrows? Um, you know, I think it it might have been... Uh... Oh, man, it might have been... Don't forget the Sounders thumped FC Cincinnati. Yes, and that was actually my and... first thought, you know, especially going Western Conference and just knowing that uh, so much hype with Cincinnati and it's kind of like welcome to MLS. You know, mm -hmm. we know that feeling, don't we, in 2017. Yes. <laughs> you go on the roll with all sorts of high hopes. But how about um, DC United, Atlanta yes. United? I know it's an Eastern Conference matchup, but so much hype that Atlanta, rightfully so, carries around with them after last season's performance and, and getting nearly all their stars back, of course, missing Almarone, but then... You get P.D. Martinez in there and, and other pieces that to add to the puzzle in, in these dollar signs that we always see. So for them to be shut out, in my opinion, is is a tough thing to do, that they can't find a way to break through a transition goal or something. And, and that's a lot of credit to D.C. United. I think that they played them really, really well. I think they had a game plan going in. Um, the conditions weren't great. It was freezing cold and wet and everything else. And Atlanta United playing in the CCL also, that's a tough schedule. Yeah. Um, but that might have been the one that really raised the eyebrows for me just because there's so much hype around Atlanta United and um, if they're going to repeat like Galaxy did quite some time ago. So um, that that caught my eye, and I'm sure it probably did a lot of others as well with the expectations. So the further question I've got for you on this one, Kendra, uh, double-barrel question really, was there an element of fatigue about Atlanta United because of the CCL duties and also the second goal that they conceded? I know it moves, and as you mentioned, the surface was slick. Should Guzan save it? Well, Guzan, I think... Um I think I always will have a higher standard for goalkeepers than maybe I should since I'm not one. You know, I, I, I'll never pretend that I'm an expert, but I think he should have saved it. And right. I, I do think that is one that we expect from him to be able to make the save on that, knowing the level of goalkeeper and the quality that he is. It was interesting, too, with the comments back and forth between him and Bill Hamid mm. before the match, um, kind of throwing, throwing darts at each other. But... Um, I absolutely there has to be an element of fatigue. I mean, they threw everything into those CCL games. I mean, you always do all these clubs. We saw it with Toronto FC last season and everybody's saying that was their excuse for playing poorly in the start of the MLS season. So there has to be an element of, um, of fatigue and they weren't in a position to just play all their non-starters as right. you know, in those CCL games, if they wanted to move through and, and they did really well in that second game. So I think that, that there has to be an element of fatigue. We'll see how they manage it going forward. Um, as they continue with that schedule and MLS. But it's kind of a – that's why you have the depth that you do if you're Atlanta United. And some of these players have never played in this kind of schedule with this kind of travel before. So we'll see how they sort through it as well as Frank DeBoer with his – managerial style got some ground to make up as well haven't they fell 3-0 to Monterey during the week in the CCL uh, Jamie Watson Major League Soccer week one what stood out to you in terms of results well where do you want to start do you want to talk about Michael Bradley being at top of the golden boot race right now <laughs> bagging a brace on the road um, if he didn't put that one away we would all but been like, well, oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Even Cal, I think you finished both of those. Well, <laughs> well, that, that's debatable. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, there's a storyline for you. Let's talk about it from a Minnesota United perspective. Um, as close to a, a perfect weekend results-wise, only three other Western Conference teams picking up maximum points. 
um, sitting second uh, only on goal differential right now with with Seattle third overall in the supporter shield. Um, you talk about the comeback by Orlando City at home, bagging the two goals there. But the one that stood out for me, focusing on two Western Conference teams again, Colorado and Portland, 3-3. Three, three. What's Colorado's MO always been? Defense. Will they give away three goals at home? What's been their Achilles heel? Scoring goals. They score three goals at home. Uh, so you, you start to say they've been, they invested a lot. I think they had a tremendous offseason. I still don't think that they're a playoff team. But I also think you now have Diego Rubio, Kai Kamara. Um, you brought in Keegan Rosenberry as well. You've got a cost to tied up for a long term. I mean, there's a lot of things to be excited about. And there's still a few pieces away from being a team that I think crosses over that playoff line. But there was a lot of storylines that played through it. L.A. coming back, getting a win um, against Chicago was a big one as well. It, there was there was a lot to get excited about this week in MLS. And, and not just for the fact that it's back, but I think what we thought we knew about Atlanta they can give you a home run performance where they came back uh to win their second leg at home and then you saw them play as you mentioned get lose 3-0 but then they put up a goose egg only team that didn't score all week in MLS so what's it going to be what what you think you know Atlanta hailed as one of the most talented teams ever assembled in MLS yet which team shows up week to week yeah is it going to be the changing of the old guard is FC Dallas going all in on their youth movement does that have them drop out? By the way, another team I don't think makes the playoffs this year. Yeah. Or if they do, they get by by the the scruff of the neck to barely get in there. But I think that they're gonna they're gonna struggle. And I love the the way it's gonna shape out for FC Dallas in the next couple of years. But I still think you're gonna have those initial growing pains till you get to that point. So um storylines of plenty, an incredible winner and uh LAFC versus sporting Kansas City. A wonderful goal by Diamande and yep. the dying moments of the game to snatch victory at home. Might have gotten that starting spot back. <laughs> that is another storyline. Christian Ramirez chosen first choice over Diamande. Doesn't really have the game that he wants. The changes made by Bob Bradley and Diamande gets you the game winner. Nothing makes you more favorable in a coach's eyes than when you make him look like a genius. So <laughs> um, I, I think that'll be interesting. But games to watch out for this week. Uh, FC Dallas at home to LA Galaxy. I could see that game being a draw. I think that would be obviously a, a wonderful result for Minnesota United. Mm -hmm. I think Houston Dynamo at home um, easily dismantles Montreal because I don't think Montreal is a team that J the owner, Joey Saputo, wants him to be. And I think Remy God is trying to get as much out of it as he can. But right. I just don't know in Ignacio Piatti's last year, he looks like one of the lone bright spots with Tidare. But then from there, it's a massive drop-off. Plenty of storylines for this week coming up. A lot of Western Conference versus Western Conference matchups, which will mm -hmm. be important for Minnesota United supporters. Cal, mm -hmm. if you if you had to pick one of your favorite things about MLS, just hearing Jamie talk about um, how you just don't know which team is going to show up every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love that about that. Every day we go to the stadium, you're just not sure. Who, who, if you're, you know what I mean. Anybody could win on any given day. How could you gamble yeah. on this right. league? Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, do you feel, what's your most favorite thing about the league, especially when you look at the first week results? Well, well the, the thing is, is it, it is the parity, isn't it? I think, um, speaking from experience here as well, when you wake up, uh, particularly across Europe and most things across the world, really, as a fan of a certain team, on match day one, now most people know my, my team is Aston Villa in, in the Championship in England you don't necessarily wake up thinking we're going to win the league this year mm -hmm. or we, we could possibly win the league, you know? Maybe the championships, the, the odd one out in, in that sort of uh, thought process. But certainly in the Premier League, if, if you're a an Everton fan or a 
you know, a, a Huddersfield fan, you, you're not waking up thinking, you know, we can win the we can win the Premier League this year. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Major League Soccer stands fairly alone, if not entirely alone, with that regard. You know, every fan on match day one wakes up and thinks, maybe, maybe this is our year. You know, regardless of what they've done in the off season, because the parity is is still so obvious in this league, and and that's one of the the, the main things I still love about this league. But it is changing slightly. We yes. are starting to see a little bit of a shift. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Atlanta United and the gazillions of dollars they've spent. Another team that's never been shy of, of spending a penny or two is Toronto FC. They've done that again earlier this week. Alejandro Pozuelo coming in from Genk in Belgium. The best team in Belgium. He's been quoted as saying he was the best player mm-hmm. in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Reported fee of $11 million. Now, I was absolutely devastated when I found out Sebastian Jovinko was leaving Major League Soccer. But if the reports are to be believed, they've got their replacement here. Well, and the other name he's been called is a maestro. I mean, can he pull the strings and also score the goals like Jovinko did? And I think that's what the expectation is. But what kind? What does that do to a player also when you have those expectations placed upon you before you've even arrived? Those are huge shoes to fill. So I think some of it's going to be about the pressure he feels because I think he's capable of doing the things that Javinko did, maybe not identical, but people are going to have to realize they're different players. Mm. And so I think that's a challenge. Anytime you have to come in and replace a player like that, it's it's a challenge with that kind of a pressure, not just within the fan base, but within the club itself and um, and just whether he or not he feels it because that's a lot. That's a lot going on, and TFC has a lot of pressure on them right now, Just not just because of the loss of Javinko, but the way that they started out the season, the way that CCL went, getting booted early on and looking very poor. Yeah. They come back with a nice win at Philly, but Philly's not a super strong side right now trying to figure some things out. So I think um, I think that's a huge, massive, tremendous addition for them. But Ali Curtis might be feeling some pressure. I think Greg Vanny is feeling a lot of pressure. Yes. And um, it's going to take some time, even with Pozuelo on the roster. A lot of weight on the shoulders of the young Canadian Jonathan Azorio since the departure of Sebastian Jovinko. What does the signing of Pozuelo do? Does it release some of that pressure? Does it allow him to play a little more freely? Well, I hope I hope so for his sake, because even though Jovinko at five foot four maybe not have the biggest shoes, uh, literally, figuratively, those huh. are the biggest shoes to fill. Biggest shoes than yours, though. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> and if it uh, if it was something that you had to put all on yourself to try to do if you were Osorio trying to fill Jovinko's spots, all the best. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a world-class player. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of the best, by the time it's all said and done, that'll ever played in MLS, his impact that he had there. He's certainly in the, the Mount Rushmore of MLS players today, so it'll take something special to knock him off that spot, uh, in my opinion. But I just wonder, too, you have Azorio, you have Pizuelo coming in, but you also have Josie Altador coming back from injury. Now, Again. Is, this, is this the same <laughs> Josie Altador that <laughs> we found to be scoring goals in bunches with Javinko because the partnership they had, it was Batman and Robin, and they, they flip-flop on, on which day who was going to be the hero, which one was going to be the sidekick because those two were so good together. Josie's got a new deal. Josie's also 32 years old. Josie's also starting to get to that point in his career where his money's made. He's got his deal. He's probably going to end his career in Toronto. Does he try to maybe dial it back because he wants to have some more longevity, get squeeze a little bit more out of it? Does he come back to the same just 
bulldozer, bull in a china shop, bull in a china shop mentality where he can just go up against the biggest boys in the league and play some big boy soccer with them up top. Kendra mentioned it. Injuries are a thing with him. Yeah. If he can come back and find that form or even 80 to 90% of that form he did, well, then you bring in Pizuelo. You have Osorio who's coming into his own. He got his deal as well that he deserved to, to stay. Yeah, I think the team can pick up a lot of slack. That's a big, big win for them on the road against Philadelphia, a place that they have had success before in recent years. But at the same time, after the year they had, they're not going to overlook the value of getting three points on the road because last year, as good as they were in 17, they were equally as bad in 2018. Well, Cal, how much pressure was on Ali Curtis and Toronto <sighs> to re-sign Josie Aldador? Because after losing Javinko and kind of hearing the rumors of how that went down, I mean, there had to be some pressure to to bring him back, to get him back. And I know Michael Bradley said, I'm not even talking contract publicly. Yeah. So I, I think there had to be some pressure. I think there was some pressure to have a name. I'm not entirely convinced it was had pressure to retain Josie Altidore, mm -hmm. but with what Toronto FC fans have been used to over the past couple of years with Sebastian Jovinko and with the success of that partnership of him and Altidore, mm -hmm. Michael Bradley, and, and look, I know Bradley gets a, a ton of critics in, in, in my opinion, Opinion, the criticism he receives is is wholeheartedly unfair mm -hmm. the vast majority of the time. Um, I, I think it was purely Curtis under pressure to deliver something. Mm -hmm. And we'll wait and see, won't we? Pozuelo yeah. could very well be that answer, but we'll, we'll wait and see. We, we are running out of time, unsurprisingly. We could talk, we could talk forever, couldn't <laughs> the we? Three of us? No. <laughs> so we'll just run through these quickly. Some news and notes in Major League Soccer. Um, Kenny Saif, U.S. international, mm -hmm. signing for FC Cincinnati. Gary Smith, the ex-Colorado Rapids manager, uh, was announced as the head coach of Nashville SC coming into MLS in 2020. One I want to go a little deeper into, Kendra, before we go to break, is Joey Corona mm -hmm. coming from Club Tijuana to LA Galaxy. Is it a player they really need? Because if you look at the depth that the Galaxy have in that position, is, there a, is, this, is this a smart signing for Scalotto? Well, I think it's a little interesting, too, because they have a ton of depth in that position, but they also have a lot of injuries in that position in the midfield as well. I think if you looked at that roster, you go, man, they need to shore up that back line once again. That was their weakness last season, and it seems to be a bit of the weakness heading into this year as well. But now Alessandrini's hurt. Who knows how long he's going to be out, two or three weeks with, with a pulled hammy. So good news for Minnesota United if he's not in in the, in the lineup yes. in a couple of weeks. But I think, uh, you know, Scalotta probably has his mindset on what he wants to accomplish, and I think we're still trying to figure that out. And they just lost two key players, not so much Giovanni Dos Santos because he didn't play much, but, of course, Kamara. Um, so I think it's – it's LA Galaxy is a crapshoot. They've got Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Ask anybody – you know, to really break down the way they're going to play and what they're going to do outside of that. I don't know that we know until we see it. And um, it's going to take some time for that to figure it out. But I, I was a little surprised by that signing, but he comes in with a ton of experience. You know, he's been playing, what, in Liga MX since he graduated from San Diego State for the last how many ever years? Club America last yeah, year Club as well. Yeah, Club America. So, I mean, that that to me, you can't, that's invaluable experience going and playing down there. But um, we'll see what he brings. I mean, I think it's, it's never a bad thing to add. Uh, U.S. men's national team player, a player that maybe isn't necessarily a, a big part of the U.S. men's national team, but if you get him on a right signing, if he's a TAM signing, he's not a DP, obviously. Yeah. It's been well documented where their DP issues, losing two in the span of 24 hours, uh, was never easy for uh, LA Galaxy, but the fact that they are adding players like this and it's not at a DP level just goes to say how, how they've done well to be able to pull these signings. Is it the most strategic one, like maybe Minnesota United pulled off this offseason? 
No, it's not as well thought out, but at the same time, there are some players that you say, this is a no-brainer. We need to pass. We can't pass up on this opportunity. We'll make it work. And does it make one or two other players expendable in the trade market to try mm-hmm. to fill those voids elsewhere that LA Galaxy currently have? does feel very reactionary, in my opinion. Yes, but sure. Nevertheless, the Galaxy adding a really good midfielder in Joey Corona. Minnesota United got themselves underway in 2019, Kindra, with a very good victory away at Vancouver. What should we expect this coming week at San Jose? Man, well, you chuckled at me at the end of the broadcast when you said we had San Jose coming up next, and I made that dun-dun-dun sound because... It's like the earthquakes are the bugaboo for Minnesota United. And mm-hmm. so honestly, if we're just looking at San Jose, the fact that they have their like 75th coach in the last five years <laughs> and still not maybe on great terms with the GM and how everything's being put together and whether or not he's coming to the locker room and giving halftime speeches instead of the head coach, then we could say Minnesota should go in there and earn victory and it should be another three points, six points in the first two games because although we have a lot of new pieces, Minnesota United, they feel like they're clicking and they're a little bit more together and we've had the same three coach or head coach for three years. But mm-hmm. it's San Jose. And for some reason, Minnesota United cannot find a way to beat a San Jose team the last two seasons, whether it's home or on the road. Um, but I don't know from Matias Almeida. I mean, everyone says he's a very passionate coach. We see it. We know he has a history of success. And it he's got the team maybe trending in the right direction, but does he have the pieces that he wants to fit that puzzle? He wasn't able to make a lot of moves in the off season. He wasn't given a lot of money because of the way they're kind of strapped for, for money for salaries from the previous couple, two, three, four years. So didn't make a ton of huge changes. Um, I like Judson. Judson. I knew yes. you were going to say it better than me <laughs> in the midfield. I think if him and Godoy can get on a partnership there and kind of figure out who's doing what in the central midfield role, that will help. They yeah, put Erickson up ahead of him. I'm not sure if that's the right spot for him. He doesn't have a ton of pace on the outside. So mm-hmm. they move him into the middle. Vaco can still do his thing and be dangerous. Houston, if he gets fit, um, he'd missed a couple weeks with some green card things, I guess. So I, I think if they can get the pieces together and you've always got Wando. Yeah. Is it a good thing or a bad thing, Jamie, that he's two goals away? I mean, we've been on Wando watch now. We, for a long time. <laughs> I for mean, long, yeah. we, we had him the first game of the last year, and we were like, oh, I was like, there's no chance he doesn't break this <laughs> this season. And then now here we are, here the we second are game of 2019, and we're still on Wando watch. So Minnesota, in my opinion, should go on the road and get the three points, but you just never know with San Jose. It, it seems as though, Jamie, that that's, that's the only real positive note for San Jose at the moment. It's been an off-season and a pre-season riddled with internal misfortunes, uh, regardless of who the manager has been over the last couple of of months. But Chris Wondolowski, as Kendra mentioned, just two goals away from breaking the all-time goal-scoring record in Major League Soccer. A player you're familiar with, you knew him during his days in Houston, didn't you? Yeah, well, uh, Chris Wondolowski drafted the same year I was in 2005. He was 41st in the supplemental draft. And at the time, 12 teams in the league, four drafts, four rounds in the in the, the super draft. Yep. And then there was another four rounds in the supplemental draft. So he didn't go day one in the first four rounds. He went essentially in, what, the third round of the second day, so the seventh round overall. I mean, this is a guy that went about as under the radar as you possibly could have. Somebody, when they signed him, um, they probably thought, well, we'll see if this lasts a year or so. He absolutely tore it up in the reserve league, which at the time was when um, you would have the full team travel 
the teams that the players that didn't feature on the match day could then play the following morning, Sunday morning at eight, nine o'clock in the morning with a stadium empty of people. And he was just scoring goals in bunches. And I always thought there's something about this kid. He just has a knack for scoring goals. None of them are highlight reel essentially, but they are, they're noteworthy in the sense that they come in bunches. And now you look at it, he scored 10 consecutive seasons or 10 goals in nine consecutive seasons. That is an incredible stat. I mean, it's just st silly to think of the longevity the health he's had to maintain that. Uh, about as good of as a person off the field as you will find in Major League Soccer. There's nobody that isn't happy for his success. This is a true rags to riches story. And I think that we all are cheering for him to get this. Um, not because it's anything against Landon Donovan. It's just you love to see the underdog come out on top. And and Chris Wondolowski is the definition of that for him to find the success that he has in this league and to be a surefire Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. Mm. I mean, I think that it's a uh, it's a wonderful story, and I'm so happy for him. I hope we see him break the record. I hope we see him lose three to two on the day and we get a chance <laughs> to be there in the building when he breaks the record because um, for me, the, it'll be... the play, won't they, as yeah, well? Yeah, as they should. And, and I mean, I, I would gladly give him a standing ovation because I, I hope I get to see it. I want to be able to say, I saw you when we played at the University of Rice or Houston Stadium, uh, University Rice of Houston. Rice Eccles. Yeah, Rice yeah. Eccles uh, for the home games at Real Salt Lake. Thank you, you guys read my mind. And <laughs> at the University of Houston, when the away games at Houston, 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning when no one really wanted to be there because that means you didn't play the night before. Mm. And here he is doing it on the biggest stage. I, I would love to see it from a personal standpoint. Just a losing effort on his yeah. part. <laughs> it could very well all be a part of history, couldn't we? Which is always exciting in this league. Kinder, from a, a Minnesota United point of view, knowing Adrian Heath like the three of us do, you'd be very surprised if there were any personnel changes. I can't imagine any personnel changes unless there's somebody that's just not fit to go. I mean, that's literally the only reason. Maybe, maybe a change or two in the 18, but as far as the starting 11, I can't imagine a change for exactly that reason. If it ain't broke, why fix it? You know, don't make a change and, and give some guys some time to play in those same positions where they can continue to develop that chemistry. We know Ethan's chomping at the bit, but he's hmm. still not ready to go maybe 60, let alone 90. So why not stick with Rasmus Schuler? Um, and I think Rasmus Schuler's work rate is fantastic. He doesn't always make the right decisions when he does have the ball, but I do think that there's something to be said for his level of of work and what he's capable of putting out there from an effort standpoint. And if, I just don't see it changing. And I think especially when San Jose is a bit of a crapshoot, as I already said once, like you got to focus a little bit more on what you want to do and less about what they're doing just for that fact, because you just got to go out and get those three points. I know Ike Opara said to the press the other day, <laughs> Jamie, that this means nothing to him. He said that it was only Chris Wondolowski of all the players uh, that remain at San Jose that he played with. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time. It was 2013 he moved to Sporting Kansas City and obviously had tremendous success there. But surely there's, there's a little bit of him, inside of him, that he's he thinking... He did say he's looking forward to kicking him. Well, yes. But... <laughs> I was looking forward to that. But, but, but I mean, you know, it's obviously a, a vastly different place from the one he left. New, new logo, new identity, new stadium for, for the earthquakes over the last couple of years. But at the end of the day... It is the team that drafted him. There's got to be something in there. Yeah, there there is a little bit. Look, you're always you're always a little partial to it. How it ended sometimes dictates how you feel about the team going forward. And as you mentioned, new logo, new stadium, everything about it is different. So it's not as if you're walking into the same building you walked in week after week for years on end. Um, so much time passes that a little bit of that nostalgia kind of wears off a little bit. Um, 
look, I mean, you, you're kidding yourself if you don't look to see when the schedule comes out, when your former teams are on there. Maybe not nearly to the degree as, degree as when Minnesota United plays Sporting Kansas City. Sure. For him, that would be mm-hmm. the one that he first looked for, I can imagine. But for San Jose, then you always start to go, okay, yeah, where is that San Jose game? Okay, we go there second game of the season. You know, so I can imagine that's what's I, what Ike is thinking. But when he goes there and faces it, faces the the team, it's it's a completely different organization. And as Kendra mentioned, it's changed 75 times over now. And, you know, it's funny because Matias Almeida has come in there and with the pedigree he has, Cal, we talked about this uh, off the air, how Almeida comes in off the back of winning the CONCACAF Champions League, this mm. wealth of experience. Um, but that doesn't necessarily translate to MLS. And you've seen the team change over year after year. You can have this massive changeover, but you can't just throw money at a problem and fix all of your problems because sure. there is the budget restrictions. Remember the port came out? Guys, this blew, blew our minds when we all collectively saw it. Almeida almost didn't even make it to week one because I think as he started to learn the ins and outs of MLS and the budgetary restrictions, he thought, well, how am I supposed to fix this team if I just can't throw money at the problems and fix it? I mean, you're talking about a guy that's got four keepers on his roster right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Daniel Vega, Andrew Tarbell, JT Marcinkowski, Matt Brazano. There's four of your roster players right there. For for whatever reason, I have no idea why. <laughs> um, unless one of them's planned to be loaned out. Maybe Mark Sinkowski, Georgetown product, 21 years old. Okay, sure. Then you've got your three there. But then you look around, you're going, you've got Chris Wondolowski. Kendra, you mentioned this as a designated player. Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing? No. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of your three. You saw the problem LA Galaxy had with those problems. Those spots are coveted. Almeida's not going to have a hard time finding DP caliber players that come in. Do they have the, the ability, to, ability to make those roster moves? Do they have the budget to be able to do it with what they're handcuffed with from previous administrations that had, you know, guaranteed contracts that rolled over? He comes in and going, wait a minute. I mean, I like this guy, but but he's on a guaranteed deal at what percentage of our salary cap? How what? And there's nothing I can do about it? Well, no, that's the way MLS works. So I think it's interesting to see as as uh as much as it's a learning process for Almeida and for the players to get to know what his system is, it's completely different than anything I could ever seen. So we're all going to be going into it with the new puzzle. If we played there or not, we still got to figure out what these pieces are. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing which I'll, I'll finish on here, Kendra, interested to get your thoughts. Uh, one player which, I, look, despite him scoring in Vancouver, Mario Ibarra, I know a lot of people were very frustrated with his performance. You would imagine because of how he plays the game, he would go up against the, the central defensive duo of uh, Cashier and Cummings, you would assume anyway. With his pace that he has to get in behind, I get the feeling that if he even thinks of dropping a centimetre behind Darwin Quintero, Adrian Heath is going to lose his head, isn't he? Well, I think it's a frustration level because you have an exact game plan and much of it is catered to Romario Obara getting in behind and using his pace. And we saw that in Vancouver and it's like he... I don't know if he has a lapse in focus or what, because we see it at training every once in a while too, where, you know, Calvo's yelling at Romario and just get trying yeah. to get every, get him on the same page. And sometimes it could be a language barrier, but plenty of Spanish speaking guys out there that can relay the message to him. If he's not getting it clearly from Francisco Calvo or Darwin Quintero, whoever, if he's not getting it from Adrian Heath, but he needs him to stay high. That's why he's out there, to use his pace. That is the difference between he and Angelo Rodriguez. They are completely different style, completely different players. And Angelo, a player we didn't hit on from the Vancouver game, but I actually was pleasantly surprised with how he played in that match and almost got a goal or two or should have had. Mm. But 
Romario has got to use his pace and sit up high. Cummings has zero speed. Right. I saw him get beaten a couple preseason games like he was a cone out there. So if you can put him, and where is Abudin Ladi in his health? Where is Mason Toy? He's still a little bit young, but, you know, if you're going to need another another guy with pace up top, there are a few on this roster that Romario could be taken off the field. So this is a chance for Romario to listen up, follow the game plan, stay up high, wait for his chance, time his runs, don't be in an offside position because that also drives Adrian Heath absolutely bonkers mm-hmm. as when you don't time that run cleanly off that back line. So Romario Obara could have a field day if he does what he's supposed to do. Okay, finally... Predictions from you both. Kendra, we'll, we'll start with you. I'm going 3-1, Minnesota. Any particular reason? Just feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just feel like San Jose is still a little discombobulated, and mm-hmm. Minnesota is riding fantastically high right now. I think it's a 3-1 victory. Jeremy? 2-0. And the reason I think that is because I think defensively, Minnesota United looks so compact that I can't really truly see Wondolowski, Vaco, and... Uh, Cassius Villy, or as as we like to say, you don't like nicknames, so we'll go Cassius Villy. <laughs> um, so I don't see those the pair of them and Magnus Eriksson giving any problem that this back six can't handle on the day. Um, I think if you can win the the battle of the outside mids, Kendra, I know that you're big on that this week. That's a big key for you to the game, uh, which I think you're you're absolutely right about. I think right now the oh, excuse me, the outside backs, the outside backs will be a big big part of this game. And I think right now the 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 combination of Calvo and Metzner gives Minnesota United that extra number going forward. And then I think that'll allow opportunities for Minnesota United playmaker Darwin Quintero, a guy like Miguel Abar can benefit that. And I actually think this is the week Romario Barra will be put into my fantasy lineup because I mm. think he scores. I think he gets in behind that incredibly vulnerable back line of um, San Jose. You saw Montreal be able to break them down on the road. Same thing Minnesota United to do, will do, hope to do. And I think that they are a much better side than that Montreal team that won on the road on opening day. So I think 2-0. I think uh, we hopefully get that monkey off the back of beating San Jose, as Kendra talked about earlier on. I think this is a, a six-point start to the season for Minnesota United, and I think right now the way the teams are playing, San Jose and Minnesota United respectively, I think that's a, a fair expectation. Mm. Cal, your thoughts? I, I will go 2-1. I can see San Jose just because purely they're the home side. I, I can see them snatching a goal from some sort of angle. Uh, but, yes, I've, I, I can certainly see Minnesota United. Uh, having no problem controlling the central midfields. I think defensively they'll be uh, as, as solid as we've seen them. I, I see no reason why Minnesota United can't go and win uh, in San Jose this weekend. And, uh, of course, you can catch the game on Fox Sports North Plus, 6.30pm Central Time. We get underway. Um, my thanks to Jeremy Watson and to Kendra at D. St. Auburn as well. We, we should do this again, shouldn't we? We should. Maybe make it a weekly Maybe. Thing. Yeah, we should. Maybe. And if you find yourself <laughs> in the car getting to a watch party or a friend's house to watch it, Obviously, Jonathan Harrison did a wonderful job in his debut last week yes, with did. the pre-half and post. Dan Terhart back again on the call, so you can listen to those guys on Score North. I mean, it's been a tremendous, exciting time for all of us who get to see it week in and week out, and hopefully it comes to fruition on Saturday afternoon. Looking forward to it, and for all the latest on Minnesota United, you can, of course, download the MNUFC app. You've been listening to a Minnesota United production. Thanks for joining us.